0: I feel like as a non-traditional vet student that has kind of you know had some different life experiences and things like that, then going into vet school, I feel like you just look at it as a very different experience. And that's not that it's any better or worse or anything like that than somebody who goes straight through all of academia into vet school. But I do think it is, it is a little bit different of a perspective.
1: That is Dr. Rebecca Mears, a veterinarian, and so much more. And this is the VIN Foundation's Veterinary Pulse Podcast. I'm Jordan Ben Shia, VIN Foundation's Executive Director. Join me as we talk with veterinary colleagues about critical topics and share stories stories that connect us as humans, as animals, as a veterinary community. This podcast is made possible by individuals like you who donate to the Vin Foundation. Thank you. Please check the episode's notes for bios, links, and information mentioned. Welcome, Becca. Thank you for joining us today.
0: You're so welcome. I'm really excited to be here, Jordan.
1: We normally have you with Dr. Tony Bartels doing student debt updates, but I figured it was well beyond time to introduce our audience to you and uh, share your story.
0: Oh, absolutely. And buckle up, audience, because it's going to be a ride. <laughs>
1: oh, fun for sure.
0: <laughs> we, we aim to have an entertaining podcast here at the Veterinary Pulse. Yeah, we do. <laughs>
1: So you know how we start these, let's, let's start with your story and let's start with your journey to veterinary medicine. Was there an aha moment for you where you knew it was the profession for you or you knew that you wanted to practice it?
0: There was an aha moment, but it was definitely later in life. I did not grow up wanting to be a veterinarian. I grew up as a horse girl through and through. And everybody would always ask, do you want to go to vet school? Oh, you're going to be a veterinarian one day. And I was adamant that I would not become a veterinarian. So that was definitely a different different story than many of you know my colleagues and classmates during vet school and things.
1: So did you go kicking and screaming? How did you get from, I definitely do not want to be a veterinarian with everybody suggesting it to me, to going to veterinary school?
0: Yeah. So when I was the average age of most people deciding to be a veterinarian, I decided that I wanted to be a jockey. I wanted to ride racehorses. And so that was my goal as a, as a kid. And that's actually what brought me to Kentucky where I uh, am living again. And that's where I did my undergrad degree. But what I did is I kind of did that on a roundabout way and ended up spending two years doing jockey school and then galloping racehorses for a while. And then eventually went back to finish my bachelor's degree and I started my bachelor's degree in equine science, not really knowing what I wanted to do, just that I really liked horses and wanted to have a career with them. And when I started to look around at what jobs I might like to have, I was really attracted to regulatory medicine and thoroughbred horse racing because my time from galloping, being a groom and a hot walker, I just really liked that aspect of the industry right so protecting the the equine athlete and making sure the rules are being followed and everything like that and so when i started looking at those jobs all of the people who i was like yeah i I could do that like that would be that would be a cool job to have they were all veterinarians oh really yeah (laughs) (laughs) it was just a moment of like well there's your aha moment we're gonna go to vet school (laughs)
1: So kicking and screaming with every, every path that you could do, but that,
0: <laughs> I mean, really it kind of, it was very interesting. And it was so funny because for so long, I used to always tell people like, Oh yeah, you know, I, you know, I wanted to be a jockey when I, ever since I was a kid, and I finally got to gallop racehorses and no, I didn't ride races, but you know, I got to follow my childhood dream to, you know, so far into that, in that industry and everything. And, and who gets to say that? And then I went to vet school and I was like, Oh, everybody says that here. <laughs> like, that's not a cool story anymore. Rebecca. That's like, that is veterinary medicine. <laughs> okay.
1: So you decide that you do want to be a veterinarian and that does somehow align with your passion for horses because mm-hmm. it has all these other opportunities. So what that school did you, did you go to and what was that experience like for you?
0: Yeah, so I ended up going to University of Georgia. And the reason I did so is at the time that I was applying to vet schools, I was a Delaware resident. Delaware doesn't have a vet school of their own, but they do have contract seats where you can pay in-state tuition. At at the time, I don't know if it's still the case this, now, but at the time, it was at University of Georgia and Oklahoma State University. Uh, and so I, unfortunately, because of my very unique path through undergrad (laughs) (laughs) that may or may not have taken almost a decade. Um, And then I, some of my prereqs were expiring for Oklahoma state. So I set my sights on university of Georgia and again, everything with me is an adventure. And so I applied for a spot and was accepted, but I was number three on the list for contract seats. And oh. only the first two get contracts. No. Yeah. So they gave me an at large C where I would pay out of state tuition. But I unfortunately have uh, student loans from undergrad already. And right. so for me, it was really important that I pay that discounted tuition rate. Mm-hmm. And so I told him, I was like, I'll stay on the wait list for the in-state spot, but I'm not coming for out-of-state tuition. And so I applied again the next year. My mentor at the time thought I was crazy. He was like, if you turn them down, they're not going to take you again the next year. Mm -hmm. Luckily, for some reason they did. Oh, wow. And so that year I was able to get, get in-state tuition. Mm -hmm.
1: So what did you do for that year in between?
0: So that year I spent working with that mentor veterinarian in central Kentucky. So he was a solo equine practitioner in central Kentucky. We did a lot of repro work, sport horse work, which just like a variety of things. We pretty much did any stage of the Thorbred racehorse, except for racing. We didn't really do mm-hmm. too much track work itself. Uh, but yeah, it was, I mean, it was a great experience. It really ramped up my hours for my experience hours going into my next vet school application cycle but then I think also spending that year working I always joke like less than four feet away from a solo equine practitioner in central Kentucky for that time (laughs) that's a lot of honesty (laughs) (laughs) you really see what it is like (laughs) to be you know a veterinarian and what the what the challenges are and what the great parts of being a veterinarian are and so I think that was just a really great experience for me because I mean he used to ask me all the time he's like oh don't you want don't you want to like ride along with somebody else who who doesn't have the experience that I've had and, and stuff like that because it can be challenging and I was like no because I want somebody who's going to be honest with me about what veterinary medicine is. It doesn't help me to prepare for my future career at all if mm-hmm. I just get the sugar-coated version of everything. So it was—it was, it was a great experience. I can't say that I regret a single second of it.
1: And how did you find, you know, with that sort of life experience under your belt and veterinary experience under your belt, how did you find that impacted your veterinary school experience versus your classmates?
0: Uh, I always joke that I entered vet school already bitter and jaded. <laughs> 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 I felt like I had been practicing for 20 years already and I was like, Ugh. <laughs> no, <laughs> I think, I think it helped me a lot because I was able to kind of, I don't know, I just feel like as a non-traditional vet student that has kind of you know had some different life experiences and things like that. Then going into vet school, I feel like you just looked at it as a very different experience and that's not that it's any better or worse or anything like that than somebody who goes straight through all of academia into vet school. Um, but I do think it is, it is a little bit different of a perspective. And so I felt like my time in vet school, I was one, a lot of the time I was very focused on how to deal with people, how to deal with clients specifically. Like I wanted to know those things. Mm-hmm. Because I knew I would learn the medicine, right? Like that's what vet school teaches you. Vet school teaches you the medicine. But I knew that there was so much more to being Mm -hmm. a, a good practitioner, right? To being a great practitioner. And so for me, that was really important. And then I think also I had a slightly different perspective on like, what do I need to take from my medical learning, from my didactic courses, from my clinical year? What do I need to take from that? Because I've already seen, you know, very, very closely what the day-to-day life of an equine veterinarian was, so.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, because that's a different approach, right? I mean, it's a different approach than what we regularly hear, which is, I had an aha moment. I knew from when I was a kid that I wanted to be a vet, boom, 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 in school, out of school, and then sort of hit with different realities that you're not focused in, that most are not focused on when they're trying to get into veterinary school, nor are they focused on when they're in school because they're just working to survive school, right?
0: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And I think through that, I really found there were a couple of things that helped me through vet school that weren't, you know, related to the traditional like learning and medicine and everything else that, you know, you typically think of with vet school. And so counseling was a huge part of that yeah right because vet school is hard <laughs> it's yeah really hard and it's not just the material that you're learning um, you know they always uh, I've always heard the comparison that you know learning in vet school is trying to drink from a fire hose. there's just so much material being thrown at you and that's not just a learning issue but that's also like a time management management of um, you know emotional intelligence resiliency like there's so much more that's involved in getting through vet school than just being able to sit in your classes, master the material, take the test and move on. Right. And so I think that is something that I have seen more and more schools adapting, but we were lucky enough that when I was at University of Georgia, we had two embedded counselors there, one who was at uh, UGA's split campus, so there was one embedded counselor at each of the two campuses. And so I, pretty early on in my vet school time, established a relationship with one of those two counselors and was seeing her pretty regularly. It would, you know, wax and wane as life waxed and waned, right. and as clinical rotation started, like some <laughs> of them were really hard to go see the counselor. Right. Uh, but I, you know, that was really important to me. Uh, and I felt like that really made a big difference for me Mm -hmm. during vet school and being able to like, just survive. Mm -hmm. What is that experience?
1: Mm -hmm. And do you feel that you were unique in taking advantage of that resource?
0: You know, that's a great question. And I think it is funny because so when I started at UGA, there was one embedded counselor and they added the second within like my first year and a half there. And I, and I noticed a change in the trend of people being one willing enough to talk to a counselor and then two being willing enough to announce that that's something they did right because mm-hmm. that's not something you, we really think about running around especially in vet school and being like oh yeah i'm seeing the counselor mm-hmm. but i did see that change throughout my mm-hmm. time there and that more and more people like it became a conversational thing like oh yeah i've got to go because i've got an appointment with whoever it may be mm-hmm. um but I definitely like, especially my first year, there was a lot of resistance I saw in my classmates in order to take advantage of those things.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What other resources did you find were helpful for you in veterinary school?
0: One of the big ones that I am uh, still involved in and, and really, really absolutely love and recommend to all veterinary students is the VBMA, the Veterinary mm-hmm. Business Management Association. I, uh, every, everything's a story with me. So I apologize if everybody's not into yep. stories
1: listening uh, to it. You're here to share your story. So <laughs> I, feel, I feel like this is the right platform for your stories. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll, just have, we'll just have a fireside chat.
1: Exactly. Becca's fireside chat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, I, my first year of ed school was the first semester, and I was, uh, in line to get lunch for another club meeting. And there was the first VBMA meeting was coming up of the of that semester. And I remember talking to one of my friends and being like, Oh, one of that students really know about business. Like, I just really don't know that that's, that's a worthwhile thing to do. Uh, And so one of the girls behind me in line was actually a chapter officer for that VB May chapter. And she's like, Hey, like, I couldn't help but over here. It actually is a really great opportunity. You should check it out. Um, you know, just come to the first meeting. If it's not your thing, that's fine. But I really think that like you will see that it is, it's more than you think it is. And it's it's not just business. It's really like professional development and it can benefit anybody no matter what you want to do within veterinary medicine. And so I went to that first meeting and then like I never left VBMA.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We, We should also say, Becca, what is your current role in VBMA?
0: Yeah, so one of the things I do now is I'm a national co-advisor for the the national VBMA. And so I'm still able to give back to that organization because really, I mean, it did, it gave me so much throughout not only vet school, but now into my career. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it, hands down, one of the best things that I did for myself and my career throughout vet school was joining and being active in VBMA.
1: And why do you think it was so beneficial in veterinary school? I mean, some some, you know, audience members might be listening and think, well, I don't even have time enough time to study, you know, the medical aspects of veterinary school. I definitely don't have time to focus on the business ones.
0: No, and I think that's something we hear a lot. I think that's something, especially now I hear from students a lot, is mm-hmm. I think there has been a lot of focus on setting boundaries, which I think is awesome. And I'm really glad to see that. I do think there's a fine line between be involved, like do things, like get Mm -hmm. those other experiences. And I do think VBMA is a a great experience. So the reason I think that that was so helpful is one, that was a large part of what I had been looking for, right? Like I knew Mm -hmm. that veterinary medicine was so much more than just the medicine. It is a people profession at the end of the day, it really is. And so, but but dealing with people is hard, (laughs) dealing with people can be a big challenge sometimes and so I think that was one of the things that I took from VBMA is a lot of that professional development working in teams things like that but then so much more I mean the way that the VBMA curriculum is set up with their business certificate program is really designed to give veterinary students you know, you're not going to be an expert in anything, but give you a good knowledge about different areas that will help impact your career and honestly, your personal life as well mm-hmm. as you move forward from vet school. So mm-hmm. it just, I can't say enough good things about it.
1: <laughs> well, it's wonderful that you found something that you found your groove in coming from that sort of an unorthodox journey, right, to veterinary school and then finding something probably, I mean... I would imagine that your extra experience early on, right, that extra year that you took before going, plus your your jockey time, obviously,
0: Uh, very vital to the experience. Very vital.
1: (laughs) But it it gave you some insight into different areas that you wouldn't have thought as necessary, right? If you didn't have them. And, and this is an example of an experience that really has supported you in all different areas, right? Because there's a lot that we can learn from business that can be applicable in our personal lives, right? I mean, it's all, dealing with people is dealing with people personally, professionally, right? Any oh, insight yeah. that we can get in that is helpful.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, even, I think even like extroverts, right? Like even extroverts, right. people who love mm-hmm. people, which I am clearly not one of, by the way I say the word extrovert, <laughs> like even for extroverts, like it's hard to deal with people sometimes. And especially as you move forward in your career as a veterinarian, that can be really challenging, right? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't even have to be necessarily in clinical practice, but clinical practice is a great example. Many of our veterinary school graduates don't necessarily have a ton of experience dealing with people. And then you graduate, you walk across that stage, and you're a leader in the clinic that you go to, right? Mm -hmm. So like day one, you have people looking to you for answers, not just your clients, but your support staff and everything else. And with that sometimes comes its own difficulties, right? I don't know how to tell everybody this, but sometimes veterinary clinics can have a little bit of drama or maybe even a little bit of conflict And as a leader in that clinic, as a veterinarian, sometimes you have to figure out how to navigate that, right? Like if you have two technicians that don't get along and those are your two technicians for the day, then like you've got to figure out how to make that team work. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that vet schools don't necessarily always prepare us for, but is a really big, important part of being a veterinarian. And like we were saying, it goes beyond being a veterinarian. Like that's a great skill to have as a person.
1: Mhm. Mhm. Okay, so so you're in a veterinary school, you're taking advantage of these resources and these opportunities. What happens when you get out of veterinary school? What's your first job?
0: That's a great question because I graduated during COVID. <laughs> so, I'm a 2020 graduate, um, and I wanted I was, to go in it
1: was right after, I mean, oh, yeah. everyone's still in lockdown.
0: Oh yeah, we were in lockdown. Oh yeah. yeah. We actually, um, they canceled clinics. Like we were kicked out of a hospital. So it was, I mean, that was a unique experience. Luckily I was able to do some of my rotations virtually. Mm -hmm. Um, and at that point for our program, we had done enough of our clinical time that we had like satisfied all the requirements that we needed to and everything else. But I mean, to this day, like, Equine ophthalmology was one of the rotations that I missed. And to this day, every time I have to do an eye exam, I'm like, oh man, it would have been really nice if I had that rotation. (laughs) Like, dang COVID. Yeah. And I hear that from like classmates too when I catch up with them and they're like, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, just, you know, every time I have to do this, I'm just like, oh, that was that rotation I missed. (laughs) And it's not, you know, our rotations Mm -hmm. at UGA were three weeks. It's not that having three weeks of equine ophthalmology would have made me an expert in it, right? Right. But it is that that comfort idea of if only I had had this experience. So, yeah, but yeah, so I mean, it was, it was a difficult time. I wanted to go into equine medicine. I knew that's what I wanted to do after vet school. Um, But I wasn't sold on doing an internship for Mm. so many years equine veterinary focused, veterinary students, that's kind of what you hear you're supposed to do for so long mm-hmm. uh, is that you you know you go to vet school and then you do your equine internship. Like that that's the path and then you can go find a job.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that wasn't really what I wanted to do. The way that I learn, the way that I wanted my life to go, the way that I know about like, you know, the things I know about like my mental health and me as a person, that just wasn't a good fit for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was looking to go straight into general practice. And at least at that time, it's a little bit better now, but at least at that time, those jobs were kind of hard to find because, you know, most people wanted an internship trained veterinarian. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I was traveling, applying for jobs, interviewing and everything. Uh, And then COVID happened and if there was one thing that went away real fast, it was job opportunities for new graduates to go into equine practice. Um, you know, we why saw do that you everywhere. Th- why
1: do you, do you, so you don't feel like it was unique to equine?
0: I mean, it was, it was unique in that nobody wanted to hire for those positions anymore, or at least in my experience, it seemed that mm-hmm. way. Versus what I saw in my small animal colleagues is maybe like a delayed start date or, um, you know, just kind of like a, hey, we're trying to figure things out right now. I did mm-hmm. hear about some people who had, if they hadn't signed their contract, yet yeah, that the clinic was trying to negotiate a lower salary because, I mean, at that time, right. that's when who everything knew? was mm-hmm. shut down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nobody had any idea. We didn't know right. at the time that the result of COVID in veterinary medicine would be this huge huge boom. Nobody knew that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was, I mean, at that time, people could barely even get, you know, into their clinics and stuff like that. So it was, it was an interesting experience.
1: So Um, why do you think equine was so, you know, hesitant? Do you think that's the proximity of people working together or I mean that doesn't really make sense because in practices you've got the same thing so
0: I think because when you're looking at a practice already that is willing to kind of go outside the norm and hire a fresh brand new new grad Mm -hmm. as an equine practitioner those opportunities are already few and far between yeah Um, and then when you put into place like nobody knows what's going to happen with their business. Like the last thing that those practices want to do is add on an associate. So it's not like they were like, Oh, we don't want a new grad, but we'll take somebody else. Like by right, large right. and far, a lot of those places were just like, yeah, we're not going to hire anybody right now. Right. Everybody was
1: sort of in lockdown with what they did with business because they didn't want to extend expenses and then not be able yeah, to cover it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So you've graduated it's in the, it's in the <laughs> middle of lockdown for COVID.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and, and all my job is dried up. Nobody wants to talk to me anymore. That was comforting. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> so I was very lucky in that mm-hmm. the mentor that I had mentioned before was still a solo practitioner in central Kentucky. And he was actually looking to move his practice outside of Kentucky. And he was like, I could use some help because I have a lot of business stuff I need to focus on. And I know what I'm gonna get from you, right? My clients know you, I know you, we had a really great relationship. Um, And so he was like, you know, I can't promise you anything long-term, but like come up here and I'll mentor you and we'll do some work together and then we'll just kind of take it from there. So that's what I did. And it really was, I mean, it was a great, a great experience because again, like I said, I knew that person and I knew that person Very, very well, and so Mm -hmm. I knew the level of mentorship that I would receive. And that level of mentorship that I received was what I wish anybody would get in veterinary medicine. I mean, I could literally be across town, and I was like, I don't know what I'm looking at, can you come check this out? And he would drop what he was doing, get in the truck, and come. So, I mean, that was just yeah, yeah, I mean, it was really like, I cannot we give him enough credit for being just a fabulous mentor and, and friend to mm-hmm. me. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, just that was it was really like the as weird as it is to say, like the best start to my career that I could have right. received. Um, and so, yeah, so I was there for a little while. Uh, and then was as things started to level out and we realized how busy mm-hmm. we were going to be post, Mm -hmm. uh, post the initial, uh, shutdown and everything like that, then jobs started opening up and I was able to find a a clinic that was looking for an associate and I made my way to a new clinic.
1: Wow. Okay. So you made your way to a new clinic and then, you know, last year sometime you made your way to VIN. So (laughs) what's your current role in the veterinary profession?
0: Yeah. A strange switch, huh? <laughs> so I now work for VIN, um, and I do a lot of crossover work with the VIN Foundation as well. And mm-hmm. so what I Which do
1: super grateful for. <laughs>
0: Thank you. Um, <laughs> and so what I do there is largely a big one of my biggest sections of my multiple hats that I wear at VIN uh, is student debt education and repayment help for veterinarians and vet students.
1: Yeah. And the VIN Foundation Student Debt Resources, I mean, you and Tony tag team that and you guys do an amazing job and we're so, so, so grateful. And then you also work with VIN students,
0: right? Yes. I'm a member of the VIN student team as well. And so I do a variety of things for the VIN student team, uh, including I am a co-mentor for our VIN student champions program. So many of the vet schools have a VIN student champion who they're Awesome students! I'm so excited to work with them, and they're great individuals. Uh, and they just help share their love of vin with their with their classmates.
1: What are some trends that you're seeing with veterinary students?
0: Ooh, good question. Trends that I see in vet students. We kind of touched on the biggest one that I'm seeing a little bit earlier of students sort of trying to navigate that that balance between Setting boundaries and prioritizing their own wellness, but also not shutting yourself off from opportunities. Um, So, something I've heard from many of the vet school clubs and the officers that I work with, and things like that, and a variety of different capacities, is just that a lot of the vet students aren't looking to be involved in clubs, and that's just so startling to me because those were some of my best experiences in vet school, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. the ability to get in for wet labs and like get those like hands-on opportunities that everybody just wants so much when you're in vet school. Like all you want to do is like do something other Mm -hmm. than sit in front of your computer or a textbook. And
1: so, so why do you think there's that decrease of interest?
0: I think, I think some of it is, is, you know, that balance, right. Of trying to, do I prioritize my wellness and setting these boundaries and not, and not, straying from those. And I think, you know, I hate to blame everything on COVID, but I do think that COVID was really hard, right? I mean, when I was in school and the club activities that we would do and things, there were so many lunches and wet labs and everything that we could do, just kind of like in person while you were already at school for the day. And where that changed by so much virtual learning, I think that's just been really hard to recover from. And I think you've also lost that sort of pass down of recommendations from older students. So, right, like your your third and fourth year students that are meeting these incoming first years or second years, and they're like, well, what should I do while I'm in vet school? Well, maybe those third and fourth years didn't have all of those opportunities and say so they don't right. realize that maybe recommending those things would be because it's like, well, I didn't do that. And I I don't know. And so I think that is, that is a really big challenge that we're sort of looking at for vet students right now.
1: And what's interesting is the idea of mental wellness and setting boundaries. It's also possible that joining some of these clubs or getting more involved and engaged could actually be really helpful for the mental wellness. Right. I mean, I know that there has been studies that have come out since COVID saying that loneliness and people that spend a lot of time alone that can actually have a really poor impact on your emotional you know emotional mental and physical health oh
0: absolutely i mean i definitely i I noticed that myself and i tell Mm -hmm. people this all the time and i'm like there's a very big chance that i would have quit vet school after first year if it weren't for vbma Mm -hmm. i loved what i did with vbma um And at that time, I had been elected to be a local chapter officer, and I was getting more involved with that. Uh, And so, for me, like I just wanted to carry through with that. I was also Mm -hmm. involved with another program at UGA that's called Vets for Pets and People. And so, I was a board member for them all throughout vet school. And that's a program that partners with the local domestic violence shelter in order to foster and provide medical care of the pets that are seeking to escape from domestic violence. And so it's just a a great program. It's absolutely amazing. It's so wonderful. And just like such a great like community outreach program. And Mm. I wanted to just stay involved with those things. And so, and I think that was was a challenge of me not growing up wanting to be a veterinarian, right? I didn't Mm. have that tie that some people did to, going to vet school and being a veterinarian. And so mm. one again, vet school's hard. <laughs> there's a lot of great opportunities and there's a lot of fun, but not all the time, mm-hmm. you know. And so when I got to the end of the first year and I was just like, "Man, like is this is this what I want to do?" and I mean really like those two things, hardcore like kept me going throughout vet school and I just it also helped me balance my time because like I wanted to make time for all of those things. And so through that like I was like, okay, well yeah I'll study here and then I'm gonna go to this meeting and then I gotta talk to this person and I'll study here and it just helped to keep me going throughout that school
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so interesting. So what are some trends that you're seeing with student debt?
0: So many trends. (laughs) I say that because Jordan, you say so
1: many changes,
0: so much news, so So much much news, (laughs) non-stop. I know, I know. We've had some. uh... I mean,
1: if our audience is unaware, there have just been. I mean, the onslaught of student debt changes and news and updates and. The back and forth and the moving of the dates since COVID has been.
0: And some of the things are announced very I mean, quietly, if at all. So it's yeah, like, just discover yeah. it. And you're like, oh, okay, that's, that's, <laughs> but that's why Vin Foundation is here to help. <laughs> yeah, that's why we're here to help. <laughs> we do those things and help break it down in this podcast for you. <laughs>
1: I mean, if nothing else, it's just
0: severe job security for Becca and Tony. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it is. But you mentioned earlier that I started this this role last year, and that's true. I did. You know, it's been just over a year now. And when I first started, I I mean, it felt like every thirty days there were new rules. Like it was it just, was. yeah, yeah. I mean, and I I remember telling Paul and Tony and just being like, "Look, I promise, I'm trying." <laughs> It's just, it's really hard to learn these things when every 30 days, it's like, nope, everything you just had, forget it. Gone. Yeah. yeah So, I mean, that's that's why I love what I get to do, right? Is because Mm -hmm. I, doing this, recognize how challenging it is to keep up with these things and understand it and everything else. And so I love being able to help vet students and veterinarians better understand that because you go to vet school
1: mm-hmm.
0: to learn medicine you mm-hmm. learn to be a veterinarian you don't mm-hmm. learn to be a student debt expert and so <laughs> except for a couple of us and so <laughs> and so i just think that's such a great thing that we offer and that mm-hmm. is there for our professional community to be able to help navigate those situations, because again, let's not a lot, like finances are not fun. Sometimes right. like th- mm-hmm. there's just like few people in the world that think they're fun, but the large majority of us are like, not really what I want to mm-hmm. sit down and do on my Friday evening. So yeah. it's just, again, that's like a huge, you know, it's, we know it's a huge stressor in the profession. And I just think being able to help people navigate that. It's just, it brings me joy which seems weird to say, but.
1: What are some of your favorite student debt resources?
0: The Venn Foundation Student Debt Center. And I'm not even saying that through like
1: any. I promise we're not paying her to say that. Yeah, no, no
0: one's paying me to say that, (laughs) (laughs) truthfully. Um, No, it's not even that. I remember my first year of vet school going to a Mm -hmm. VBMA meeting and it was Tony giving the climbing mountain de- lecture. And I was just like, this is legit. Like, <laughs> I distinctly remember like sitting in the class, like I can tell you that I I'm, I was on the right side of the room. Like, I mean, I could. it was, it was a moment for me. <laughs> Here's your aha moment. Yeah. That was the aha moment. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I just, and that really like I don't know, that would just like open the doors for me to for the the resources that are available through the student, you know, the student debt center or through VIN Foundation. And those tools are just so incredibly helpful. And I know so many people focus on the loan repayment simulator. But it's more than that. There's so mm-hmm. much more. I mean, it's the blog posts and the podcasts and our Wiki debt, which is like a Encyclopedia of student debt, things you need to know and breaking down all those confusing terms and things. And there's a My Student Loans tool, which helps you to learn so much more about the specific loans that you have. Like it really is just in a, a wealth of resources. It, and again, not to plug, nobody's telling me to do this, but they're free. <laughs> Who doesn't like free stuff? <laughs> I love free stuff to this day.
1: <laughs> okay, is there anything else you want to leave our audience with? I think that your story has been I really appreciate you taking the time to share it with us and um you know, we've been trying to record this podcast for truly it's months. It's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. But it just seemed like, you know, we 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 wanted to have your story sh- shared. And I and I think that you bring so much insight in this. I love these more, uh, you know, all the stories are vitally important in their own way. And I also think that this unorthodox approach that you had um, is really insightful as well, right? Just showing people that it doesn't need to be this aha moment from childhood, right? And there can be other things that happen. And And there's different paths and whatever your path is that's what's right for you so i love um you know hearing and sharing with our audience how you've found your way within veterinary medicine and all these different aspects of it um i feel like i embody
0: that like path to success and it's not like a a line on the graph it's like that weird like squiggly (laughs) yeah i feel like that like progress is not linear feel like that's my life story. (laughs) One day when I write my autobiography, we'll just include that image (laughs) on the cover.
1: Okay. So last question that I'm sure that you know that I ask people all the time, which is, do you have a secret talent or something that you enjoy doing that others might not know about?
0: Oh, I didn't know it was coming and I still don't know that I'm prepared for it. (laughs) A secret talent something that people may not know about me okay i got it i got it all right this isn't it. this isn't actually like completely unknown <laughs> i also can't believe that i'm sharing here so <laughs> one night after the kids went to bed my nieces and nephews my sister and brother-in-law and i decided that we would just get wild and measure wingspan versus height like <laughs> your arms from fingertip to fingertip versus mm-hmm. your height. Cause in most mm-hmm. people it's like about equal. Except my arms are quite a bit shorter than my height. Got <laughs> pretty short arms, which was really fun being an equine veterinarian and having to <laughs> palpate things. And so all of my nieces and nephews now call me Becosaurus. <laughs> and that is like my family nickname now is like Saurus, you know. And I get a ton of dinosaur gifts from my nieces and nephews who frequently. Would who would have known? I know. Now everybody's going to look Secret at me. talent
1: as a dinosaur. I'll, yeah.
0: I'll know people who have listened to the podcast now because they're going to like eye up my arms and be like.
1: I mean, obviously we're putting it like a dinosaur emoticon when we share this.
0: Absolutely. Because <laughs> they got to listen to the end to get that. So... <laughs>
1: Becca, thank you so much for taking the time to share with us today. And as always, we'll put everything in the episode notes, links, and information. Thank you, Becca. I really appreciate your time.
0: Thank you, Jordan. I really appreciate it. And thanks everybody for hanging in on the ride. <laughs> Bye. Bye.
1: Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Veterinary Pulse. Please check the episode notes for additional information referenced in the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please follow, subscribe, and share review. We welcome feedback and hope you will tune in again. You can find out more about the VIN Foundation through our website, vinfoundation.org, and our social media channels. Thank you for being here. Be well.